Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Every time that intro plays, I have to remind myself that you can all see me if I start to dance up here. Like, I'm going to have to like, physically restrain myself from doing that. Well, hey, I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. I want to give a big welcome to the Garfield Park campus. I want to give a big welcome to the Banta campus. I want to give a big welcome to the Franklin campus, the online campus, and, of course, the Greenwood campus. Good morning, everyone. Are you feeling good? Are we feeling good? Yes, we're feeling good. This is not the start of a series. We are not in the middle of a series. This is an espresso shot weekend. And if you're new, this is just like a little jolt, a little one-off, a little sip-sip for you, a little message. We'll start a new series next week. I hope you're excited for that. But today, I want to start with a question for you. How many of you are having a fantastic time this year? Like, we're all just having a great time. A few of you. Okay, great. This year has been particularly difficult, I think, if we could all be honest and admit that, but I think it has given us some good things. It's given us some fun, funny things, including some words or phrases that have just kind of popped up this year. And I wanted to talk about a couple of them, a few of them, to start our day, starting with practice social distancing. What a fun phrase. How, how much fun is it to practice social distancing? And we know what that means now, we know what it means this year, but I think we missed the boat because if we had not used it this year and we had started using it last year before the pandemic, it would have been the perfect breakup line. Like, I really, if you really think about it, like if you're trying to break it off with somebody and you're like at that point, you're talking to them, like, you know what, I, I think we should start seeing other people. In fact, I think we should practice social distancing. <laughs> and then they could look at you and say, well, you, you don't want to be around me anymore. No, 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 I think we should stay at least six feet apart for sure. I think we missed the boat on that one. Students, you might be able to use that if you want to. But another one that I really like is unprecedented times. How many times have you heard that this year? After you say unprecedented so many times, is it still unprecedented? I wonder. But we say that, and when people say unprecedented times, they can't ever just say it in a normal tone. It can't just be, these are unprecedented times. Or things have been pretty weird this year. It has to be like they're doing a movie trailer. They have to like get ready and say, these are unprecedented. It's always got to have so much like emotion attached to it. Another one I really like is quarantine. Quarantine, we know, means two things. One, you can't leave your house. And two, everything is terrible. <laughs> and then the other one I want to talk about was flatten the curve. Remember when we were supposed to flatten the curve? Some of you have forgotten about that. I didn't. Because prior to this year being a larger human being, if someone would have said, I need your help flattening the curve, I would have just said, where do you want me to sit? <laughs> I didn't know how that joke was going to land. Thank you for laughing. Another one I want to talk about is, is pivot. Pivot's an interesting word, especially in the, the context of this year, because I think this is one of those words that's kind of changed its meaning a little bit. Now, pivot before this year meant to rotate, to turn, to find another way. An obstacle has been presented. Something is in my way. New information has been given to me. I have to navigate it. I have to pivot, do a slight little alter of my path and get around it. That's what pivot used to mean. 
my wife and I had to pivot on our first honeymoon. Yes, I said first honeymoon. I've been on multiple honeymoons. That will make sense in just a moment. So the first honeymoon, my wife and I had just gotten married. We were young. We were naive. We were so innocent back then. We were very much in love. We're still in love today. I don't know why I say that. We are still very much in love. She's absolutely crazy about me. But we're in love. And we're trying to navigate this trip. We're trying to get everything together. We didn't use a travel agent, which was foolish. We absolutely should have done that. We were too confident. We wanted to book an all, we wanted to do like an all-inclusive type of thing in Jamaica. So that's where we went. And I was 25 and I'd never been on a plane before. Some of you are like, man, really? Yes, really. 25 years old, never been on a plane. And I'm kind of claustrophobic and I'm real afraid of heights. So getting in the plane was already like a whale of a time for me. I'm already loving life in the plane. And then we land and then you know how like you just get a sense that something's not quite right and you're just like, okay, something's off. That's how we felt when we got to the resort. And I think the first tipping point for me were the cats. <laughs> and I don't mean like the little cats that you guys have, the cute little kittens with the little paws that kind of like do this and like they're just so cute. I'm talking about like feral island cats, like big cats, cats with matted hair and crooked fangs and like a mortgage. <laughs> big intimidating cats and there were cats everywhere. There were cats at the check-in area. There were cats on the sidewalks. There were cats in the trees. There was a cat that I kid you not walked out of a restaurant. Just like, what's up? <laughs> and I'm allergic to cats and I like a clean eating space. I'm a little picky in that. So I'm like, oh, this is disgusting. I can't do this. And so we go to this little beach, little alcove area, like a half moon crescent sun is setting. It's beautiful. My wife and I, again, she's so in love with me. And we go, and instead of there being people in this little alcove area, there were chairs, and there were tables, and there were more cats. All over the chairs and all over the tables. We went to this little jerk chicken shack because we hadn't eaten that day. We were very, very hungry. And there's this big wok where they make the chicken, this big pan. looked like it hadn't been clean in like 20-some years. And instead of there being chicken inside the wok, what was in the wok? A cat. Just standing in the walk where the food would be. And at this point, I'm gagging, like, oh, I can't deal with it. My wife's like, let's go to the room. Let's go to the room. Let's get to the room. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll be positive. And we get to the room, and somehow it gets worse. We look at the bed, and then on the comforter and on the sheets and on the pillowcases, just stains. When I say stain, I don't mean somebody sneezed like a week ago, and it's like a minor stain. I mean, these are stains that were brown and had history. I don't know what happened in that bed, but I'm pretty sure it was legal in most states. <laughs> and then there was no air conditioning. If you know anything about me, if you're new, what you need to know is I'm like an old pickup truck. I run a little hot. And so I need air. I need air conditioning. Like we paid for this. And then the best thing about this, the, the topping, the, the icing on this terrible cake, one of the staff members came and they knocked on the door. How is everything? Are you enjoying your stay? My wife and I are just like, mm -hmm. yeah, everything's great. We're on our honeymoon. We just got married. Everything's great. We're from the Midwest. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Cut us off completely. And then they pulled this card that was plugged in the wall that I did not notice. And an interesting thing happened when they pulled the card. What do you think happened? I'll tell you what happened. All of the lights turned off. All of the air turned off. We lost all of our energy. Do you know why? Because we had booked a honeymoon at an energy efficient resort. Do you know what that means? I will tell you what it means. It means that at any time, the staff deems that you've used enough energy in your room, they can come by whenever they want and pull that little card and you get no more electricity, you get no more lights, you get no more air, you get no more fun. And we had booked a week and now we're standing in darkness, sweating, surrounded by cat hair. 
My wife, as you can guess at this point, begins to sob because she's stressed and this is our honeymoon, it's supposed to be magical. And then she said something that caused me to pivot very quickly and very violently. She said, honey, if there are cats doing drugs outside our hotel room, if we have no air, if it is dark, if we are standing in the darkness, I don't know how much sex is going to be happening on this honeymoon. So I take all of three seconds to evaluate this information and I decide that it's time to pivot and pivot now, pivot hard. I've never packed a bag so quick in my life. It was pack, pack, zip, zip, click, click and we're going to the desk and we're going home. Fun fact for all of you, my father-in-law was here last night. First time he heard that story. So Thanksgiving will be awkward for me. <laughs> I tell you that because that's what a pivot used to look like, right? You get new information, something's presented to you, you gotta do something with it. You can't just stand still, you can't just wait, you can't just disengage from things. You gotta move, you get this information, we gotta roll right now. That's what pivot used to mean. This is what pivot has kind of morphed into this year. It's turned into more of a, we turn and we stop. Because I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what cat's gonna come around that corner. We rotate and we wait for complete information. I can't deal with the uncertainty. I can't deal with another uncertain day in my future. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop and then I'm going to alter my path and then disengage completely, I think is what a lot of people have done. Not just around here, across the country and across the world. I found a very interesting study from the UK from a doctor named Hannah Reddy. And she said that pertaining to COVID-19 pandemic and some of this uncertainty, she said, this COVID pandemic has caused global uncertainty, which has had a direct detrimental effect on so many people across the UK and around the world. I think we could all agree with that. People have been unsure when they would see relatives again. Remember that quarantine? That was like March, April, a little bit into May. Job security has been rocked. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have talked to me about that. You've talked to the members of the church about that. There's an increased threat to many people's health and government guidance is continuously changing, leading to much uncertainty and anxiety, i.e. the masks. Mental health study in UK found that anxiety has increased in people who have, pay particular attention to this, struggled to tolerate and adapt to these uncertainties. Adapt, another word for pivot. Can't pivot amidst this uncertainty, much more so than normal times. 37.5% of the study participants met the clinical metrics for depression, anxiety, and health anxiety. And it's not just in the UK, and it's not just a mental health issue. This is a church issue as well. There was another study that was done that found that about a third of practicing Christians aren't watching online or attending a physical service anymore. A third, 33% of all practicing Christians in the United States. Millennials aged 22 to 38 Half of millennials aren't even watching online anymore. Think about that. That is a huge amount of people. That is a pivot away from our mission, if that happens at this church. And what is our mission? You've probably heard it before. Ashley just talked about it. We exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And there is danger if we continue to pivot away from uncertainty and pivot away and pivot away and we don't find ways to make this work in the context of our daily lives. Here's the danger of pivoting away from our mission. If you pivot away from your mission, you will miss out on having an eternal impact in the lives 
of others. Whole lot of danger. This isn't just about us. This isn't just about self-preservation. This isn't about what's just best for me, which is a normal thing to feel because we're human beings. We really, really want to watch out for number one. I get that. Makes total sense. I like me too. But what we have to do is we have to think outside this box. And Dallas Willard said it in a really eloquent way, much more eloquent than I could ever say. He said, there arises a very real danger that if we continue to pivot away, continuously away from our mission, that we will set ourselves in opposition to what God truly is doing now and aims to do in the future. Often, we miss the opportunity to act with God in the now. So not only are we missing opportunities to pivot towards our mission, and help people come to Christ and grow in Christ in our community. Now, if we can't figure out a way to navigate this uncertainty, we're standing in opposition to God and what he's doing, not just right now, but in the future. Do any of you want to stand in opposition to God? I do not want to do that. I want to figure out a way to to help and to figure out a way to pivot towards my mission, which begs the question, how can we pivot towards our mission moving forward? How can we do this? There's three ways for you. If you're following along in the notes, if you're following along in the app, and the first way is to adopt a sense of urgency. It is imperative that we adopt a sense of urgency. We get in the game. We figure this out. We figure out some solutions. We think, partner with people, partner with people in our, in our community. Realize what's at stake because we don't have a lot of time. And when I think about that, I think about a guy named Chadwick Bozeman. That's one of those pictures that comes up and people go, hmm, you know exactly why. Because Chadwick Bozeman passed away this week. Chadwick Bozeman was 43 years old. Chadwick Bozeman has been battling colon cancer for like the past three or four years, and nobody knew about it, which in Hollywood is insane. He's been battling this, but over the course of the past three or four years, he's taken this opportunity to adapt a sense of urgency and use that time that he had left. And he's played characters like Thurgood Marshall. He's played characters like Jackie Robinson. And you all know he played Black Panther the starring role in the Marvel universe. He's Black Panther. Everybody knows who this guy is. But it's not enough that he just made movies. He was about so much more than that. He was the type of guy that would give encouraging words and and sources of uplifting words to his fans. He would go and he would visit them. He would visit sick people in the hospital while he himself has colon cancer to uplift the people around him, knowing that he was going to die in a few short years. Why would he do that? because he knows that his time on earth is short and he can have an impact right now or he can disengage completely and he chose to step in, he chose to use the time that he had left to make the biggest impact possible. This guy is an inspiration. That's why we should remember him because of the the impact that he had. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. He talks about this short time we have, why we should have a sense of urgency. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. That's pretty direct. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, though, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. So we know that we have a short time on earth. We happen to think of this time that we occupy as like, oh man, a year's forever, this year's taken forever. To God, his concept of time is not our concept. We are just a tiny speck on this endless beach of eternity. But why is it so important to show deep love for each other? It covers a multitude of sins, right? You know that phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? I think that also applies to how we feel about Jesus because I don't think people care how much we know about Jesus until we show how much we care about them. Love covers a multitude of sins. You could be an addict. You could have a drinking problem. You could have a pornography problem. You could be a real jerk some of the time. 
But if you're showing deep love for each other and you adopt that sense of urgency and you cultivate those relationships and you figure out how to navigate this uncertainty, you're making other people the priority to show them who Jesus Christ is and his sacrifice, that's gonna help. That's gonna help the mission. That's gonna help you pivot towards that mission continuously. Dallas Willard also had another really interesting thought on this. He said that God periodically moves upon his people and in their surrounding culture to achieve his everlasting purposes for that tiny stretch of cosmic time that we call human history. This usually happens in ways that no one but he could have planned or foreseen and in ways that lie far beyond our control or comprehension. So what's he saying here? This cosmic this tiny cosmic bit of time called human history. Humans are going to occupy the earth for a long time, but at some point we're all going to die. I think we know that. It could be hundreds of years, could be thousands of years, but to God, that's just gonna be a teeny tiny little stretch of time. And we may pivot away from our mission. We may pivot away from this idea of helping people come to Christ and grow in Christ, but the, grow in Christ. But the thing is, is that what God is doing is he is not stopping. He is continuing to move. He is continuing to move on our culture, on the people around us in ways that lie far beyond our control or comprehension. Of course, we can't have certainty in all situations. We don't know the total, complete will of God. There is an element of trust there. There is an element of faith. This is not our permanent residence, and this is also not our home. When Peter's talking to this group of persecuted Christians, he says this, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners... Some translations just straight up call you aliens. Temporary residents, foreigners, and aliens. Keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls, like not being able to pivot amidst uncertainty, perhaps. Because that is a war that you're always going to battle. You're never going to have complete information, ever. You're never going to have it. You have to take the information that you have today, use it to make the best decision that you can tomorrow, the healthiest, the safest, the most impactful decision you can have tomorrow. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Why is that important? I think it's because everybody's looking at you. Everybody's looking at me. They're looking at all of us, especially if you wear that shirt with that lowercase e on it. Because they know what you're all about. They know what your mission is. They know what you believe. And so if you profess to believe in Jesus Christ, who we just sang about, you have no rival, you have no equal, if that's what we're singing about, and every time uncertainty comes our way, we melt into a pool of drawn butter in the carpet, then somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to say, why would I have anything to do with that when I could just continue to live the way that I'm living and avoid the church on Sunday or on Saturday or online or whatever it may be? I'll just back out of that. I don't need to know Jesus for that. But if you can show them how to navigate the uncertainty with confidence, if you can adapt a sense of urgency and make it about more than just yourself, man, then those unbelieving neighbors... Now those neighbors open to a conversation. They're going to listen a little bit more because they've seen how you can respond to this uncertainty. You've embraced it like we must embrace the second point, which is to embrace the suffering. If we're going to pivot towards our mission, we have to embrace the suffering. And I choose my words really carefully here. I, I chose the word embrace. I didn't want you to think that I'm telling you to go out and seek to suffer. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling anybody here that we need to go out, we, you need to get COVID, you need to suffer. You need to get cancer, you need to suffer. You need to break your leg and feel what that feels like, you need to suffer, like you really, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying what Peter said to this group of Christians. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. 
Because God already knows about all this. And if you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever talked to somebody about the Bible, the Bible does not call us to a life of comfort. It does not promise us that. To follow Jesus is to suffer. It is to be a part of that suffering with him. We are not called to live an easy life. And some of you have probably been kind of confused by this because some of you have recently prayed the prayer and you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, which is fantastic. But you're also probably thinking, man, I prayed that prayer. It's like it got harder. Because now I'm aware of all my own sin. I'm aware of all my own junk. Like I'm aware of how much I need God. Why isn't this getting easier? Well, it's, it's exactly because of that reason. Because now you know exactly how much you need God. You know the suffering that is now involved in following God. It's not easy. But Peter doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, you know what, just, just don't be surprised by it. There's an action step. There's a purpose for it. Instead, be very glad. Why would I be glad to suffer? For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. To be partners with Christ in this suffering. Man, what a privilege to be partners with Christ in anything. It's just like the disciples when he told them, drop your net and come with me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. It's that type of partnership. You get to be engaged with it right now if you have the right response to what the world is presenting to you, to this uncertainty. But what does that look like? Peter continues, he said, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. This isn't just blind trust. This isn't blind faith. This isn't just purposeless, like blind, like, okay, I'll just trust you, whatever. No, 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 no. He's never going to fail you. You can suffer along with Christ and you can have peace in that and you can have peace in your response because you know that Christ has gone before you. He's done this. And God's never going to leave you or forsake you. We have to embrace this suffering. We have to understand it. If we're going to pivot towards our mission, we have to understand our mission. That's the next fill-in. And it's really easy to say that, but sometimes when you talk about our mission, you say we exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. We talk about it so much that it's kind of hard to, to fathom because it's a big statement, right? It's not a little thing. It can fall on deaf ears sometimes. I want to talk about a guy who embodied his mission really well. I want to talk about a guy named Ulysses S. Grant. Would you look at that beard? It's like he uses like whale oil to like keep it in place. It's beautiful. So this guy's a remarkable man. He was a soldier. And some of you know about him because of your Civil War prowess. You've watched some documentaries and things like that. But what you don't know is that in the middle of his life, things got real tough for Ulysses S. Grant. He was a career soldier, went to West Point, really, really bright guy. But when he was in the military, he developed a drinking problem due to depression, distance from his family, all sorts of things. And a commanding officer approached him one day and said, I'm going to give you two options. You're either going to clean it up or you're going to quit. He didn't clean it up. He got busted for drinking again. And so the officer said, give you another choice. You're either going to quit or I'm going to court-martial you. So Grant decides to resign in disgrace. And now he's got to figure out how to provide for his family because he's not a career soldier anymore. He's not drawing that check from being a soldier anymore. So he turns to farming. Spoiler alert, he was a terrible farmer. Absolutely awful. He drove his family to poverty because of his farming. He wouldn't even talk about it, that four-year chunk of time in his memoirs when he, when he wrote it when he was older. He left that part out of his life. He was so embarrassed. In 1857, he had to pawn a gold pocket watch and chain just to buy Christmas presents for his kids. That's how low things got. 
He was selling firewood in the streets. A former career soldier, he would wear a tattered military coat in the streets and he would sell firewood. Anybody who would buy it. His dad was openly telling people, my son is a failure at everything. Openly. That was in 1857. Something happened in 1861 that would change his life forever and it would change the course of American history. The Civil War kicked off. Fort Sumter got shelled in 1861 by Confederate forces in South Carolina. When he heard about this, and when he heard what was happening to his country, he flipped. Because he wanted two things, to keep the country together and to abolish slavery. That's what he stood for. And this was an opportunity to get in the fight, to pivot towards his mission. Now, I've been reading this book called Grant by Ron Chernow. It's the same guy that wrote Hamilton, the thing on Disney Plus with the dancing and the singing and the wigs. I'm not a musical guy, so I apologize. I, I'm sorry. But I know some of you really are, and that's great. I just can't get into it. So with Grant, when he responded to this, this Civil War cry, it was almost like a violent thing for him. I want to read from this book. It kind of describes it. It says, soon to turn 39. 39 years old, he's going to hop back in the military. I want you to think about that. Grant lingered in the shadowy wings of history, ready to fight. He's emboldened by the cause. He cast off the lethargy and depression that had enwrapped him like a cloak, much like the feelings we're feeling this year with the anxiety from the uncertainty. We don't know what to do. Some of us have been blue. We've been down. We've lost our jobs. Things are not going anywhere. The Civil War was about to rescue Grant from a dismal record of business failures. Even his posture became more erect, more military. His buddy John Rollins said, I saw new energies in Grant. He dropped a stoop-shouldered way of walking and set his hat forward on his head in a careless fashion. All right, okay. Now we're getting our swagger back a little bit, right? Standing up a little bit taller. I can walk with a purpose now. He's physically changing as a result of his pivot towards his mission. And then it says, he not only had military skills and experience, but believed wholeheartedly in the union cause, his mission. He said, I wanted to leave the country if disunion was accomplished. I only wanted to fight for the union. That's 1861. So he joins the military in 1861. Three years later, he gets shoulder tapped to be the lieutenant general of the entire Union Army by Abraham Lincoln. Keep in mind, prior to that appointment, seven years prior, he's broke selling wood in the streets. That was 1864. He would go on to lead the Union Army to win the Civil War. And five years after his appointment to be the leader, we would have a new president of the United States. Who do you think it was? It was Grant. You want to know what your life can look like if you pivot towards your mission? When you really understand it, when you embody it, when you let it drive you, when you let it push you, it can look like this. When you understand your mission, here's what's true. You can pivot and change the world. That was his mission. Now I want to talk to you about our mission. We exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Easy to understand the significance of that mission if you just read it and you don't really break it down. So I'd like to break it down. We exist. Who's we? Who's we in this instance? Is it Danny? Is that it? Is it our staff leadership team? Is it the staff across all of our campuses and the online campus? Is, is that who we would be? No. We is every single one of you who is sitting here right now. 
We as every single person who's watching online, anyone who's ever been generous, anyone who's ever led a small group, anyone who's ever joined a small group, anyone who has ever helped make coffee and then helped clean up the spill afterwards, from the production to the parking lot, I'm talking about Steve Thomas at Banta, Jackie on Keys at Garfield Park, Vicki Allman online. I know you're online because every time I'm online, you're there. It's the LaFeras at Franklin. I could name a thousand people here at this church. It's all of us. Anyone who professes and proclaims to know Jesus Christ, who invites and relentlessly pursues people here, that's we. What does exist mean? Exist means that every time you wake up and your feet hit the floor, your mind, your heart, and your soul are geared towards one thing, loving God with everything that you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. We exist to do what? To see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. We exist to see people come to Christ. That's the first part. To see people. Not to be some passive bystander in this journey. To be active. To be a part of this. To relentlessly pursue them. To invite them. To care for them. To love them. To text them. To see how they're doing. If they lose a job, how can we support you? If your marriage falls apart, how can we love you? We are seeing people in this journey because we know that to come to Christ is the only thing that matters. That's it. That's all that matters for them to make that decision because when they make that decision, they don't have to spend eternity apart from God anymore. To see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. To grow in Christ happens throughout the rest of your natural born life. It's you becoming more humble. It's you becoming more gentle. It's you becoming more peaceful and patient and kind and being more forgiving and having more grace in your life. It is a lifelong journey. This is our mission. It's all that matters to us. And this is precisely why we can't pivot away from it. Because here's what happens. You pivot away from this long enough, people aren't getting reached in our community. People in our community aren't going to know the story of Jesus Christ. We have the COVID death tracker. You can find it anywhere. You've got the, you can see how many people die of cancer each day. You can see how many people die of heart disease every day. What we don't track is the amount of people that die that do not know who Jesus Christ was. I think if we had that statistic in front of us, we might conduct ourselves a little bit differently when it came to our mission, don't you? Maybe. This is not who we are. This is what we do at Emmanuel Church. This is what we do as followers of Christ. This is our culture. And what is culture? Daniel Coyle, in his book, The Culture Code, would say culture is a set of living relationships, living relationships, all of us, how we interact with each other, how we interact with our community, a set of living relationships working toward a shared goal. It's not something you are, it's something you do. This is what we do. And it's what we're going to continue to do. And this is precisely why we are going to continue to do Impact Week at Emmanuel Church this year. It would be very easy for us to pivot away from Impact Week this year. It would be so easy to just say, you know what? We're going to back away. We'll catch you next year, maybe like next fall. We'll, we'll try that. Next fall, we'll partner with you. We'll, we'll come out in the community. We'll serve you. We'll help you. We're not doing that. We're going to do exactly what it says in 1 Peter. We're going to follow our government authorities. If they tell us to wear a mask, I'm going to wear two. If they tell me to stay six feet apart, I might stay 20. If they tell me I need to wear a pair of chaps and ride a donkey to my serving opportunities, you may see me doing that. The important reason for doing this is because so many people in our community this year have been told no. No, we're not going to help you. No, we're not going to serve you. No, no, no. We are going to people that look at them and say, yes, we will help. We will pivot toward our mission and we will help you. We will partner with you.
because this pivot away from this mission by so many people has caused a real need for service in our community, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and we're going to serve them. If you have not yet signed up, you have until you go to bed Monday night to sign up for this. There are plenty of organizations that you can still sign up for. If you're not able to do that this year, that's okay. Put it on your calendar for next year because we're going to do it again and again and again. We're going to keep pivoting towards this mission because it matters. So the final question I want to leave you with today, what does it look like if we pivot towards our mission? I think it looks like we adopt a sense of urgency with our life and we realize that we don't have a lot of time left to help people come to Christ and grow in Christ. I think it looks like us embracing this suffering and realizing that we're not going to be surprised by it anymore. And when these things pop up in our life, these uncertainties, I'm going to pivot towards it and I'm going to realize my response matters because people are looking at me especially my unbelieving neighbors, they're looking at me. I think it's also going to represent a greater understanding in our mission. All those things are true. I think what it's going to look like, though, is I think it's going to look like a conversation. If we pivot towards our mission, I think it's going to look like a conversation that you might have with a coworker. As you're checking in on them, and you're being kind to them. You're being warm to them. You're genuinely empathetic to their plight going on right now through this year. You're checking in on a family member. You have a conversation with them. You're checking in on your son or daughter's teacher because, man, they've had a tough one. Maybe it's during impact week. And you're packing up and you're wrapping up and you're getting ready to leave. And one of these people, whoever you're talking to, is going to look at you and say, why are you doing this? How are you able to act this way? Amid such uncertainty, how are you able to be so confident and have so much peace and have the presence of mind that that everything's gonna be okay. How are you able to do that? Why are you doing this? There's a lot of things you could tell them. You could tell them it's because I care about you. You could tell them it's because you care about your community. But what I think you will be able to tell them unequivocally without any hesitation, you should be able to look them directly in the eye and say, the reason that I'm doing this is because I exist to see people Come to Christ and grow in Christ. And I can't wait to tell you about him. That is my hope for our community. That is my hope for this year. I never thought in my life that I would be a pastor of anything. I didn't thought I'd be a pastor of White Castle. This is all I want for this community to be somebody that can help people navigate this uncertainty. We can do this, but it's gonna take a pivot. The amazing thing about today, this moment right now, is you're gonna get the opportunity to pray for someone who has not made the decision to pivot towards Jesus Christ. You get to do that right now. You get to be part of this prayer process because there are some people in here right now who don't know the story of Jesus. There are people watching online. There are people at all of our campuses don't know Jesus. What you need to know about Jesus Christ is that he lived a perfect, sinless life. He really, he really lived. We forget that sometimes. He was the son of God. He had all the power afforded to him in the known universe. And what he chose to be was a humble sacrifice for all of us. He died on a cross, crucified, endured so much pain and unimaginable suffering so that you and I didn't have to spend eternity apart from God the Father. That's why he came to be a sacrifice, to embrace the suffering. 
But he didn't stop there because three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering the penalty of sin and death. And you can trust in that today. You can trust in Jesus Christ. You can go to him, ask for forgiveness, acknowledge that you have made mistakes and you want to live for him every day moving forward. That can be you right now. It starts with a prayer. So I'm gonna take these words, you make them your own, you pray to Jesus right now. And if you're sitting next to these people, you've already prayed this prayer, pray for them. This is your opportunity to pivot and serve. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I come to you and I have made mistakes. I am a broken sinner. But Jesus, I have heard about you today. I know exactly who you are. I know what you've done for me. I know you died for me. You suffered for me. I know that you were crucified for me. And Jesus, I know that you have paid the penalty for my sins and I am grateful. Jesus, I acknowledge that you rose from the grave so that I don't have to spend eternity apart from the Father. Jesus, today I ask that you wash me that you cleanse me, cleanse me of my sin, make me new so that I can walk with you and understand your ways for the rest of my life. Help me to do this today. And Jesus, it is in your name I humbly pray. Amen. If you just prayed this prayer, if you just prayed this prayer, you've made a crazy decision. I know it's a lot. I know it's real big. They are partying so hard in heaven for you right now. And we're going to party with you right now. Let's go. Yes. What we're also going to do is we're going to send you one of these. If you send us a text message, you text the word SAVE to 65248. We're going to send a bright orange box to your place of residence. Inside of this box, it's our SAVE box. It's got a New Believers New Testament Bible so you can get started on your journey with Jesus. It's got a copy of a reading plan. So if you don't know where to start, we're going to help you. And it's got a coffee mug. This is our way of saying thank you for trusting us with this decision. Can we give it up for God one more time for what he's doing? Man. All right, we're gonna pray, we're gonna thank God and we are going to be dismissed. Will you pray with me? God, you are amazing. You are so amazing. I'm so thankful for each and every single person that has joined us today. I'm thankful for their families. I pray for their safety. I pray for their health. I pray for their happiness. I pray for all of our abilities to pivot towards you amidst this uncertainty. We know that we've got an opportunity to respond in a big way to what's going on. We wanna show people who you are. We wanna embody you in our communities. We wanna love people. Help us to do that. God, we are so thankful for you every minute of the day. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray, amen.